Välkommen tillbaka till Gay.en podcast. Idag ska vi få träffa Trip Fuller som bland annat har eh, podcasten och eh, hemsidan och gruppen Homebrewed Christianity i USA. Eller ja, utgår därifrån. Just nu så bor och arbetar han i Edinburgh i Skottland på universitetet där. Eh, han kommer att presentera sig själv eh, mer. Och eh, vi kommer att prata om väldigt många olika saker. Så jag hoppas att ni eh, stannar kvar ända till slutet. Även om det är ett litet längre avsnitt än vanligt. Men eh, jag tror ni kommer att eh, uppskatta även detta. Så nu dröjer vi inte längre utan går direkt in på intervjun med Trip Fuller. Welcome to Gay.en podcast Trip Fuller. Oh, very glad to be here. I'm so glad we can make this work. I'm kind of starstruck, actually. Oh. I, um, I mean, you're, you're one of the most influential voices uh, within uh, progressive Christianity, I think, both on the internet and in real life. Would you agree? Well, I mean, I'm not going to argue against it, but uh, <laughs> I, don't think I, would, I don't think I would ever put it that way, but, you know. Well, I think so. I'm not sure that my Swedish listeners, though, uh, know really who you are. So would you please just introduce yourself a little about who you are and what you do uh, about your family and whatever else you want to tell us? Yeah. Um, so currently I am at the University of Edinburgh, but uh, this I'm beginning my third year um, here. I work in the religion science program. Uh, working on a project called God in the Book of Nature, looking at uh, panpsychism, neuroscience, cognitive science, that kind of stuff, uh, theories of mind and consciousness. But I, I was born in the South in the U.S. as a preacher's kid, really nerdy, and end up going to divinity school and doing a Ph.D. in philosophy of religion. Uh, and along the way, started podcasting, uh, a podcast called Homebrewed Christianity in 2008 never really quit. So, um, you know, in the, throughout all that time, I moved from North Carolina to California out to Scotland. Uh, there's 1200 and some episodes of the podcast and we're about to cross 15 million downloads, you know, over the course of the, you know, since it started, uh, <clears throat> there's a book series. If you Google homebrewed Christianity made a movie, uh, buddy road trip comedy called the road to Edmund. And uh, I like I like the NBA, like American <laughs> basketball, quite a bit. Have three kids, uh, 13, seven, and four. I don't know what it, um, I, I'm really into Lord of the Rings mm. and and uh, Star like Wars books and Star Wars. Yeah, mm. and things like that, nerd <laughs> culture kind of thing. So, um, but the, the I started the podcast when I was in divinity school. And it's, you know, grown over the last 13 years, but uh, the, the big reason was how many people don't have access to what is in the academy. The, the academy is full of scholars across different disciplines that are doing some really great work. Uh, but then when you look at the popular voices in religion or biblical studies or theology or whatever, they tend to be really conservative, really shallow and, um, really good things to leave behind. So the podcast has always been trying to get people uh, interviews with scholars so they can get the benefit without the student loans, you could say. Yeah, because that's that's the thing with you, isn't it? Uh, I think I've heard that you um, <laughs> you have student loans and you have to work as a professor to <laughs> pay them. <laughs> But you'd rather be a, a pastor, is that it? Or would you well, rather do I, what you do now? Well, I think I would, I, I like both actually. I mean, I, I like both the mentoring part in both is my favorite. And in UK system, you don't do a lot of that. Uh, you, and then in, um, so yeah, it kind of varies, but it's uh, uh, in meeting people that aren't Americans. And then you tell them that multiple life decisions are built around student loans. They look at you and are like, why would you do that? But yeah, you don't pick where you're born. That's that's true. That's true. Uh, but you um, 
You said you come from a Christian family. Your your mm -hmm. your dad was a minister, or yeah, yeah. The, uh, my family were church planters, so oh. they started new churches. Uh huh. Um, uh, in the first, it, it first started when I was. I mean, he was a minister, and then they decided they wanted to church plant when I was in uh, fourth grade. So I was nine or ten. Mm -hmm. So my adolescence and stuff, we, we moved from rural North Carolina into the capital city of North Carolina, Raleigh mm -hmm. and church planted. So it was, uh, it led to me having a lot more positive experiences with church than a lot of people in my generation, yeah. because where we were doing new things, um, it was, it ended up taking the lead on different justice issues in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, and people that had never really been a part of a religious community found the church and then they found community and friends and help them in tragedy, all that kind of stuff that the good parts of religion, we did a lot more of it than the negatives. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with a much more positive experience than a lot of people, my, of my generation, yeah. um, which I think has been one of the reasons why I uh, put so much effort in trying to, uh, I don't know, articulate a much more, liberating and life-giving and progressive vision of the faith because i think it's possible mm -hmm. and um, a, a lot of people what they leave behind when they leave behind christianity is definitely worth doing so yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> no i i agree and uh, so that's when you when you started homebrewed in 2008 you wanted to um get this more progressive uh, view out more to people this progressive mm -hmm. christianity could you like just um explain a little more about what is what is progressive christianity and the difference between that and more traditional or maybe conservative christianity well i think i mean there's lots of debate about what the word me means when you use it in any context and not like uh, what progressive is politically in one country is conservative mm -hmm. in the other, you know, depending on yeah, what the yeah, baseline yeah. is. Um, I, I'm pretty sure if, if the most conservative Swedish politicians in America, they're like socialist communists, like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're going to be like, no, they're not. Conservative. So, you know, a lot of times the context matters, but if you think about how you see the faith itself, um, the progressive Christians tend to be uh, those who don't see, um, like historical criticism, science, religious pluralism, mm -hmm. uh, things like that as uh, things to be argued against or whatever, but part of our context for engaging and understanding the faith. The other thing about a progressive faith broadly is it's not something, the faith is something that was completely certain, settled and fixed. And now you're just repeating it. Mm -hmm. uh, you ask yourself, like, what does it mean to be faithful? Um to Jesus in this time, in this mm. context, in this situation. Mm. And sometimes that means uh, preserving things from the past uh, that have been neglected and left behind. Other times it means being faithful to something that you're handed, but other times it means leaving things behind or, or kind of pushing the boundaries. Uh, and I think in our context, uh, there be it uh, inclusion of LGBTQ people um, to uh, rethinking through how our vision of the faith has neglected our relationship to nature and our responsibility to it for future generations, or um, even thinking through particular doctrines where um, something that made sense in one cultural context mm -hmm. because of how images uh, function in another, it doesn't communicate the same thing. So a lot of the atonement uh, mm -hmm. descriptions uh, in, in medieval period where there was an honor shame system eh, may have made sense and were alive then, but now it sounds like God has to get violence out on someone, takes it out on his kid. And if you get washed in the blood, then you can go home with <laughs> the kid that the dad killed um, <laughs> eternally. Not a great invitation, you know? So right. uh, I think the um, progressive Christians aren't any less Christian. It's just, what does it mean to be faithful? Isn't something uh, that's pure repetition. Um, yeah. It requires uh, kind of interpretation and reflection on your cultural and historical situation. Uh, and it means engaging in the whole public conversation around, uh, you know, science, religion, history, biblical mm -hmm. studies, and which is how you end up with someone like 
me, who's a minister and working in the science and religion program at the University of Edinburgh, um, you know, most of the work is with scientists, not, uh, I mean, the classes I teach are people, they're doing religion yeah. or philosophy degrees, but the research stuff is engaging, uh, engaging the sciences, not to like secretly tell them they're all wrong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> In that picture here, it's funny, um, you know, even in, even in Scotland where, you know, in the city that has one of the most prestigious science religion programs, half the cabbies that I have, they're like, so what do you do? I'm like, I work at the university. Oh, really? What department? And I'm like, science and religion. How does that work? You know, <laughs> they, they, there is this assumption that they're, you know, mm. uh, kind of antagonistic towards each other. And so you're like, no, and try to decide how long you're going to be in the cab and what you want to say. (laughs) It's not like the elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Then you are also, um, you call yourself open and relational. You, you you know, your, Mm -hmm. your theology is open and relational uh, kind of, (laughs) right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Please explain. Oh yeah. So there's um, the open and relational theology is a, in the academy, the big guild for all religion professors, one of the groups mm-hmm. is called Open and Relational Theologies. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of different, like say denominations or traditions end up there, but what they hold in common are kind of three commitments. Namely, uh, the open one is that the world's actually open, right? Like uh, everything's not settled. A lot of people mm-hmm. think of uh, our experience of time uh, like we experience it as open, like we're moving moment to moment, but God relates to it like a book Mm -hmm. and, you know, the cursor's moving across the book and we feel like it's open, but really God wrote the whole thing and set sits outside of time. So it's not really open. It's settled, but we experience it that way. Or in the same kind of fight in cosmology is like block time um, or the, or is temporality actual part of the fabric of uh, existence. And so open, uh, open theologies or uh, views of the world are one where temporality is real. There is a movement from past to future and kind of the edge of the present uh, involves genuine openness. Uh, so the creatures contribute and uh, what becomes and then what happens, what becomes sets the stage for what happens in the next moment. Um, the relational part is connected to the third part that God is love. And so if, if love requires genuine relationships, uh, genuine relationships with another uh, that, that have freedom, then an, an open and relational world is necessary for God to genuinely be love because love requires a kind of reciprocity. Um, the, uh, and, and I think we can, I think we all intuit that, right? Like if you think of uh, when you succeed as a parent, you succeed because you have a relationship with your child and your deepest values you express in ways that they come to see them as valuable and then express them in their own life. Now, sometimes you fail as a parent and you just coerce and force them to do something. And then you know that if you want them to do it again, you're going to have to do it again, right? Like when you force your kid to do something, you're, you already failed. You're like, I didn't, I wasn't a good enough parent up to this point. Now I'm going to sit over them and make sure they do their homework or, you know, this type of thing. Um, That kind of, uh, if, if God desires loving uh, relations, then God can't really be the most controlling person in the world, dictating both terms of the relationship. It needs to be one. Um, where they're reciprocal. Um, and, and so the openness means each moment is there's something happening and each creature contributes some part to it. The relational part means um, that each of us contribute to the network of relations, be it our relationships between our neighbors, relationship between the rest of nature and creation, our relationship with God. And um, it's in the open relational space where God as loving uh, it's, a, it's present. And that means God's not controlling, but God experiences the world, suffers it, shares in the joy. And then each moment invites us into the most loving, beautiful, and good thing, but God didn't determine it. And, um, and so that larger picture, the emerges through 
Open relational picture emerges through conversations with science, wrestling with the problem of evil, looking at the how the Jewish and Christian traditions depict, say, the God of Israel in relationship or uh, that kind of thing. Mm. So, um, well, yeah, so it's in the in the relationships uh, between uh, between human beings that you experience God. Right. Or. Yeah, well, I mean, I think God, we experience God in every moment. Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. it's human beings, but yeah. you know, sometimes it's um, like I get up before everyone else in my family. Yeah, and uh, I, I have a thing for birds. I like birds, and uh, we have a <clears throat> big bird uh, feeder that's on the big window that I can see while I'm making breakfast and packing everyone the kids' lunches, and I and I think over time. In watching the seasons, I know which birds are in our yard at different times. And then in the mornings, I like to get to see them. And I stare at them. They look back at me, listen to them sing. Um, like in the midst of the beauty and the encounter of like looking at the bird, I think God's present in that. Yeah. But it, there obviously is like a, a unique way in which God's present in humans, or yeah. at least a distinct way. But um, if you think that every moment, uh, happens in, in the world happens within the life of God, mm-hmm. uh, that God shares it with us. Um, mm-hmm. then, uh, I think God, uh, is able to be present mm-hmm. through all things. Um, whether or not what God wants happens is, is, you know, a separate mm-hmm. thing altogether, but that, that God can, in a sense, take up, uh, any finite contingent thing to be a, 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 a to become sacramental in a sense, to become symbolic yeah. of, of and I think people think of it like uh, you know when you go for like a go out with, go out on a hike you get to the top and you're looking there and then you realize yeah you need to go for a hike but there was something else that you needed in that whole experience and then the the hike down you're a, really a different person but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like there was some necessarily like this magic in the in, yeah. in the uh, mountain um, but but that whole experience becomes. Uh, a, a way you tap into a deeper reservoir. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. I, I, anyway, sorry that was a excursus, but definitely no, that's it, good. That's good. Then I am definitely open and relational. Um, and by the way, today is Saint Francis Day, so uh, you know he had mm-hmm. the sister moon and brother sun and all the animals where he uh, found God. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a wolf he liked to talk to, which is yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I, mean, I want. I like wolf. seeing birds, but I don't. I don't. I don't know what kind of relationship I plan on having with predator. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Uh, <laughs> so you're um, both you and your wife are ordained uh, ministers, Baptist ministers. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. it? Uh huh. Yep. And you were born in the South, and Southern Baptists, I've heard, are <laughs> conservatives. But that's not your uh, history, is it, really? No, no. Um, so in the, in the United States, the Baptist, it, it, I mean, it's one of the biggest denominations in the States. So there's mm-hmm. varieties of them um, you know, uh, that represent different uh, kind of perspectives on almost any issue. Uh, we are part of a group called the Alliance of Baptists and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. So Alliance of Baptists were among the first peace churches uh, for ordaining women, LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. uh, work on climate issues and things like that. So yes, on the Baptist side, not on the uh, Southern Baptist okay. side, but the Southern Baptists were taken over by fundamentalists in the 70s. Okay. So a lot of the churches we were part of used to be Southern Baptist churches and then uh-huh. fundamentalists took them over. And then we're like, if you want to be one of us, you have to believe, you know, yeah. a list of, at least from my perspective, rather backwards and untenable things. Mm-hmm. So those congregations started forming other networks. Um, but in, in the history of the United States, Baptists are much more diverse, like Martin Luther King Jr.'s Baptists okay. or the social gospel movement, Walter Rauschenbusch, mm-hmm. uh, famous Christian socialist is a, was a Baptist minister um, and was intimate part in the early 20th century uh, before World War and stuff, uh, uh, organizing through Baptist churches uh, labor to get child's working rights, all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it, 
but the dominant expression, at least in a public American life, in the last half of the 20th century, have been Baptists were fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do really weird foreign policy based off odd interpretations of Revelation and uh, <laughs> love Israel um, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> I tend not to trust people with with charts, no, of Bible right. verses for foreign policy advice. <laughs> that's that, that that's good advice. So let's talk a little about homebrewed Christianity. It's not just uh, a podcast. It's a whole community. And you offer lots of uh, different things. Uh, like, uh, well, tell me about it. Well, there's, um, I mean, you know, there's, there's usually a podcast every week. And then uh, throughout the year, we do different reading groups. And, you know, the member, people that are members, like, you know, donate each month and stuff. They have a podcast feed that's like a members only one where they get all the classes and all the old stuff and things on it. But um, <clears throat> each of the reading groups, we open up to whoever's interested in just that topic if they, you know, aren't in the larger community. And we'll have, you know, 1,500, 2,500 people in reading groups. Like this week, we're finishing one that's looking at how Christianity has changed over the last 20 years since 9 11. Yeah, I'm in that. Uh, before, <laughs> before that, we did. You know, we did one on black theology. We did yeah. one on uh, Whitehead's process and reality. We did one on Bonhoeffer. Like, so that in they vary over the year. Next uh, one that starts in November is on uh, Kierkegaard, who is a nineteenth um, century Danish philosopher and critic of uh, Christendom, um, the way the dominant state church perverts both the state and the church. Uh, and the father of existentialism. And uh, so then after that, uh, Adam Clark and I, who did the Black Theology Group, are doing an, another one, this time looking at the legacy of James Cone um, for like what, what, what how has um, Black Theology reshaped the task of theology? And anyway, so in, in all those groups, are, are really ways for people that listen to the podcast that are interested in the topic to like dig in deeper um, and to interact with people that have a shared interest. Uh, if people that are in the groups want to have their friends get together and use any of the content, we don't care. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, I try to do as much of the public stuff as possible where you don't have to actually have money to get access to it. So the groups are kind of donate. And so usually, you know, some people donate enough that it, that it makes it worth doing and others that don't have money or are trying to decide if they like it, don't have to give that much. And uh, it tends to work out. I think, I don't, but uh, um, I think the reason so many people gravitate to them is there's really not a lot of curriculum or resources in the church for people that are going to think deeply uh, and wrestle with important texts and figures and questions. And, and that was okay for a long time, I think. Um, But now the kind of questions that if you ask them as a teenager in college, got you sent to divinity school to become a minister (laughs) are now the questions anyone has, if they're going to be a person of faith, Uh right? So if you look at, um, uh, survey data on in the West on like the big religious questions. Uh, the ones like when you go read, say, early 20th century theologians and stuff, uh, they're wrestling with these questions that now my teenager asks me. Mm-hmm. And I think we live in a world where you don't take for granted a spiritual dimension, you don't take for granted a particular religious tradition. Um, you you are well aware of uh, the power of science to shape the world and, um, and, and, and how it reshapes what truth means. I mean, there, the, you probably know people that are better humans than you that don't believe in God. Like mm-hmm. the, the kind of questions that used to be uh, for the classroom are now just any spiritual seekers questions. Mm-hmm. So, but communi- church communities are not always good at figuring out how to facilitate those questions. So, podcasts, uh, like reading groups. Um, the homebrewed book series is like inappropriate jokes connected to what most scholars know about that topic, like the homebrewed guide to Jesus or God or whatever. (laughs) Um, 
so my goal has always been to uh, figure out how to pass on a robust kind of intellectual tradition of faith to those without without telling them, well, the correct thing to do here is go to graduate school, right? Like, uh, and so it, it, a lot of people in our groups, I, one of the guys that's a member, he's a plumber and he's in his sixties and he, his wife's really devout. So he had to go to church and then he found the <laughs> podcast 10 years ago. And now he, uh, he, you wouldn't know he hadn't gone to seminary. He listens to podcasts, joins all the reading groups, but he's an electrician. And so he listens on, listens to lectures on his, on his phone all the time while he's working. Mm-hmm. And, and he's perfectly capable uh, of, you know, he's better than a lot of my students here. And, <laughs> and, and so I, and I say that because we now have questions and the, and the academy has kind of uh, cloistered all the people that have reflected on it for so long hmm. that then, you know, when I'm in the cab and they're like, you do religion and science, well, how does that work? Hmm. You know, and, but if you are aware of the, if you're aware, like even in, uh, even in Europe, if you ask practicing scientists at research universities, over half of them believe in some ultimate reality, you know, mm-hmm. uh, depending on, they are not a particular religion, but they believe in some God, but you wouldn't know that um, because the, uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but uh, so the, the project, you know, largely for homebrewed Christianity was, a, was to, um, to kind of give those resources out so people can think and wrestle and reflect on their faith without um, feeling like you got to take it or leave it with something that's, you know, backwards, judgmental, isn't addressing the biggest questions in the world and uh, probably packed with a bunch of prejudice. Like Mm -hmm. that's depressing. The the joke about homebrewed when I started, which, you know, the older you get, you, you know, never know like what idea you have are going to linger this long. Um, But when I was in graduate school in the States, uh, the drinking age is much later. So you can't drink till the end of college, mm-hmm. except in college, everyone drinks yeah, at yeah. parties, right? And so because mm-hmm. there's not a healthy culture of drinking, they just binge drink on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they have fraternities, which, you know, usually some set of Greek letters. And so uh, the joke was that when people think of Christianity, they think of uh, like really cheap, light American beer. Okay. And, <laughs> And it tastes bad. And I would joke and say, when people hear Christianity, they think of uh, really cheap American beer that uh, tastes like cold piss. Uh, It only works if you drink a whole bunch of it and you're held upside down, like at a keg stand (laughs) in front of a Greek patriarchal institution. It was like at a frat party, right? um, and so that what, what is Christianity, a hierarchical patriarchal institution. And the only way you're ever filled with the spirit is if you drink a whole lot of it held upside okay. down. And, okay. um, and I was like, I was like, that, I don't, wouldn't want to be that kind of Christian anyway. And so the metaphor of homebrewing, cause I was a, and still am a homebrewer is that, uh, like there are actual beautiful intellectual resources and things from the history of the church and stuff that you, you know, as ingredients and in, uh, metaphorically for brewing faith and mm-hmm. just like the home brewing uh explosion in the states around 2000 in the mid 2000s when mm-hmm. i started the podcast where all these people going oh you mean you can have beer that doesn't isn't tasteless uh europeans never had this problem y'all have like even your lagers taste good but mm-hmm. it, in the states that's not the case it's like no. take out 30 percent of the grain insert corn that's yeah. what they do um <laughs> so the, the homebrewing was like, yeah, here, let me give you all these ingredients. You can hear these authors and scholars, and then you can, you know, homebrew like, and it will taste better mm-hmm. than the thing that goes through your head in America. When you say the word Christian, mm-hmm. especially now, like you think of someone that goes to church three times a week and loves Donald Trump, doesn't believe in climate change, won't wear a mask uh, and might <sighs> be on horse dewormers. Mm. Like that's what goes through people. And you're like, yeah, not that. No, like right. the opposite of that. So the, yeah. the goal has always been uh, <laughs> come up with as many ways to <laughs> to uh, give people access to stuff that uh, they may not know exist or know mm-hmm. how to get to without going to school. Yeah, it's kind of like I, Brian Zons uh, wrote a book called uh, Water to Wine. 
Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of that who was so tired of this uh, easy cheesy cotton candy Christianity was his uh, name for it, and I really wanted to you know get this watery stuff to some real real vintage wine mm-hmm. to get the theology really really deep. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, and plus, like if you use that metaphor, you get the. Jesus's first sign in the Gospel of John as an advantage, um, but I I did the homebrewing thing. We started as a campus group in Divinity School. It was we were trying to figure out how to have a club where we could get money to buy homebrewing equipment, okay. uh, and we wrote a proposal for the group saying like, "Well, Luther did it." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so. <laughs> that was smart. <laughs> do baptists drink well the, the we call ourselves wet baptists oh okay <laughs> the, it, it's like uh the ones that don't tend to also not like most other good things like art um <laughs> dancing yeah. uh, the, uh, uh they probably don't uh they don't even kiss till their wedding day Oh my goodness. Um, a lot of other things. So the, oh. try to avoid them. That's one. But the other thing is if you do have a, a really conservative Baptist, but if he's the only one present, he probably will drink. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. if two of them are, they don't. Oh. Um, because they have to keep up uh, purity in front of each other. Um, <laughs> That's accountability, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, there's a, there's a, there's a, a joke Baptist ministers like to tell about, um, yeah uh, you know how do you go fishing and keep and keep the baptist uh from drinking all the beer mm-hmm. is you bring two of them because mm-hmm. then they won't, won't drink it <laughs> but if you take episcopalians you can only take one of them because oh. if you bring two of them they'll just both drink it all so. <laughs> okay uh, uh you've written uh how many books well, so there's seven books in the homebrewed series mm-hmm. um, that I, so I edited the series. I wrote one of them and then wrote, you know, different pieces of each book and, mm-hmm. uh, and jokes. But, uh, <laughs> and then the first book I wrote was with Philip Clayton. Yeah. Uh, and then li- like almost a year ago, I had one come out that was a, it was an academic book though. I would not suggest anyone read it unless oh. they like footnotes. Um, uh, okay, I will. Well, no, I mean you you can like you'll be <laughs> fine because you listen to podcasts. But like, if someone's like, "Who is this guy?" The Homebrew Christian Guide to Jesus is definitely the easiest okay. uh, book, and it has the funniest. You know, it has humor in it. Yeah, yeah. An academic book doesn't, and you work hard at saying things in the most complicated way possible. Right. That yeah. way, you demonstrate. Mm-hmm that uh you know what you're talking about because very few people can follow it (laughs) exactly and english is not my first language so maybe i'll just take the homebrew guide yeah jesus (laughs) (laughs) uh and then i i really need to talk about the road to edmund your Mm -hmm. movie it was a few years ago now yeah you made this movie Yeah, yeah it all everything runs together after covid yeah, yeah. I, like I regularly forget that it's even 2021 or <laughs> how know. long I've been in Scotland. Yeah. Like, I feel like I just got here. And then the other day it was like two years ago, you moved here. And I was like, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> wow. um, you know, I think it was like 2019, maybe 2018 or something like that. Yeah. I know. I know. It was around Christmas time that I that I watched it because you mm-hmm. you you released it like uh, for I don't know for free or for whatever pay what you want mm-hmm. during Christmas. So maybe it was yeah. 2018. Yeah. So so tell me about the movie. What what's it about, and uh, why did you why did you make it? Well, the the road to Edmund is um, it's what's well, it. It's a comedy that has large amounts of inappropriate religious humor. Um, it's built around a road trip with two characters, one of which is uh, been told 
uh, he crossed the line by being welcoming to a girl that came out and he's a youth minister. And they are like, take a week to pray about it. You know, they really just telling him, uh, come back and say what we need you to say Mm -hmm. and ends up on a road trip with another guy who has lots of religious baggage that kind of slowly gets unpacked through the movie. And uh, in, in the goal in the movie was, well, I mean, one, it was stressing, addressing a lot of the topics individuals have baggage with, uh, religious baggage with, especially in the States, the two biggest issues that come up um, are the, uh, the kind of the patterns of hypocrisy and exclusion of uh, LGBTQ people. So like, w- what do you do around that issue? And then the main, the main reason people, uh, at least on surveys, leave God behind is the problem of evil and suffering, mm-hmm. which the other character is dealing with. You don't figure it out till the end. I don't want to ruin it for people. But um, so it, the idea was uh, how you tell, make a funny movie where you get to make fun of religious people mm-hmm. and uh, the whole through all the jokes and the story, they're actually processing their, the challenges to their faith together. Um, and, and we, the reason we called it road Edmund, other than it's filmed in Colorado and Oklahoma, and it ends in the town Edmund, Oklahoma is when we were going to do it there, we were now looking for towns with the letter E because in a sense, it's a road to Emmaus story where, you know, the two guys are traveling with, uh, Jesus and they didn't know it mm-hmm. to Emmaus and uh, they don't discover it until they're breaking bread until they get to the destination and then he disappears mm-hmm. and so the goal of the movie was uh, um, in a sense the the road itself is the presence of mm-hmm. Jesus and they end up working through their issues um, while they get there um, to the end and you know, it leaves it open as to what they do next but they it's not they're not determined uh, by their pain at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other part of it was a lot. Most times there's a movie about religion mm-hmm. um, and faith is in the play. And it, it's usually some like weird witnessing movie you know? <laughs> yeah. and they're really bad. And they're, the theology <laughs> behind them really is really bad. Uh, and they're, they're just kind of gross. So our goal was like, could we, have enough jokes in it to offend that audience (laughs) and endear yourself to people who were like would never watch a film that is deeply spiritual or religious yeah Uh, and i'm happy to say we got turned down by every religious film festival and then accepted into a number of lgbtq film festivals um (laughs) and uh, one best comedy at one and like it so it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And it, 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 we ended up making the movie. Uh, um, I mean, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time. So, which means you're just next to people that do these things all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a theater and philosophy major in undergrad. So I always thought clearly I should get to do this at some point. And um, my buddy, Dave, when he had, was telling a friend of his of means about the idea for a buddy road trip comedy, um, dealing with a lot of these themes, he's like, well, I'll give you $20,000 to make the movie. Uh, and so then he's like, Dave calls me. He's like, Hey, I'm going to call you later today. Be funny on the call. We might get money to make the movie. So the, the other side is like, when that chance comes up, why are you going to say no? Like, oh, right. um, it was the most work and effort into something that you've never actually made any money off of. Uh-huh. But then you get lots of cool emails from people that end up finding the movie on Amazon Prime and watch it and then message you and they're like, hmm. oh, that meant so much. Or uh, you are an agent of Satan. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, I can't believe uh, I got this email once that said, I can't believe you made this movie. You're trying to convince everyone you think God loves them. <laughs> no, I was like, I was like, well. At least, you, uh, at least you picked up on it right like <laughs> you're right that was those oh. the, <laughs> you really offended all the right people yeah <laughs> yeah the the uh the insults that certain um uh really conservative christians you know give you or mm-hmm. some are pretty creative and, oh yeah um, yeah and you're like wow 
But yeah, so the, the I always joke that the second half of the movie is better than the first because mm-hmm. we had been making a movie for a week when we made mm-hmm. the second half of the movie. Yeah. Uh, because everybody in it, I mean, they've done video and like editing for commercials and stuff before, and mm-hmm. but none of us had ever made a movie. So we were all like, we'll learn how to do it while we do it. Yeah. Um, so I try to set expectations low. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, yeah I, t- I try to um, be a, a road to Edmund missionary in Sweden when when it's when I when I watched it during that Christmas uh, weekend. I'm not really sure how well I did, but it's on, it's on, is it on Amazon prime or where, where can people find it? Yeah. Yeah. It's on Amazon prime. And like, uh, I think it is in most countries now. And, yeah. but if you just go to the road to Edmund.com, then there's a things you can click through to find out yeah. where to get it. And, um, but yeah. And if, if you're in some place where you can't get it, you can just email me. I'm sure I can, yeah. you know, unofficially give you access to it <laughs> um <laughs> it was fun uh yeah. it, it was quite a fun experience and my favorite thing about it though was was when we toured with it watching it with people mm-hmm. so like you know you got a hundred people and you're watching a movie and um because when you go speak somewhere it's a very different experience because yeah. you have to be present and uh you're holding the energy of the room and it's like this like you're saying stuff and then they're saying stuff with the way they're sitting and looking at you and at all this place. When you're watching a film, you have almost no control mm-hmm. and it's terrifying in a completely different way. Cause they know you edited it. They're like, this is your best version. You know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of times you can speak. And if you nail a third of your talk, they're like, Oh, he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But if you only nail a third of the movie, they're like, well, you could have done better. I mean, you know, <laughs> Uh, but when it works and you see a whole group laughing um, hysterically, like there's a, the campfire scene yeah. uh, when people are not expecting just how offensive to a certain group of people it can get. And then it happens. And uh, the, every time I watched it with a group or at a film festival, the, I try to get where I can see everyone's faces where mm-hmm. when I do the puff, puff pass Leviticus line, Mm-hmm. and um the like i roll a joint out mm-hmm. of a bible page for a character and my character does and um and you don't see this coming and then it happens right so people are just rolling and then there's like the 10 percent of the room who now think i might go to hell right <laughs> like he, they like one guy went a q a he's like i don't even believe in god and that made me uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> It's a, uh, the, the watching it is its own watching people watch a movie is its own experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was a fun movie and it was, uh, moving and touching and in many ways. So it's, it's got all the, all the ingredients you need. Um, your, uh, homebrew Christianity website, it says, uh, theology that doesn't suck. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few of them that do. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's uh, a reason I started my podcast. Can say that. Um, now, um, now you you mentioned before that you are um, Lord of the Rings fan and uh, Star Wars and Mandalorian mm-hmm. and oh yeah <laughs> and all that. Um, I'm sure you can talk uh, very, very much about that. So uh, well, have you had some classes or, or um, courses in where, where you kind of mix the theology and, and the Lord of the Rings or the Star Wars? Or um, I mean, it's come up in the podcast a few times when in teaching yeah. in university, I've taught uh, philosophy of religion classes that use pop culture and stuff. Um, I had a class that taught a couple times uh, called Secular Apocalypse, and it uses like Walking Dead, Battlestar Galactica, and Game of Thrones, oh. um, and then using apocalyptic literature. But mm-hmm. like, what are the what does apocalyptic literature get reframed in a world that doesn't take God as normative? Um, I've done philosophy of religion, where the religion we're looking at is Jedi. 
Uh, Because, you know, most people know it. You can assign, they'll actually watch movies and read comic books better than, you know, like reading Hume and Kant. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you, you know, teach the, uh, you teach all the content for philosophy of religion around the religion of Jedi. And no one takes it personal. Like if you're philosophy, teaching philosophy of religion, uh, you know, you'll have multiple religious traditions in the class and people that are none. And so when you're giving examples, you know, a lot of times I'll use my own, but then like, or use another one, but then someone that practices that religion in there, it gets kind of weird. You're like, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the using Jedi, no, no one complains. Um, um, And the, um, you know, setting Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones next to each other also works for Mm -hmm. uh, looking at, anyway, like I've used them a lot, but I haven't done stuff, a lot of things online about it, but Mm. I like doing it in the classroom and uh, the uh, right now I'm in the middle of like in the last two weeks, I'm almost done with two towers. Um, oh, okay. So I've, I've read the, basically the first two thirds of um, Lord of the Rings again, because next fall there's a new show on Amazon, a Lord of the Rings show. Oh. And so I'm, my goal is to come up with, I'm rereading everything the goal is to come up with some way of doing something around the show. So I get to talk about it every week, uh, either like a reaction podcast or do a class about all the Lord of the Rings stuff mm-hmm. that, so then people can, when they watch the show, know all the backstory. Cause it's, it's on uh, uh, the show itself. I mean, we, if you follow the leaks, isn't on the actual Lord of the Rings. It's all stuff that happened before it. It's mm, in, okay. like the Cimmerillion yeah. and stuff. So people, it'd be like some familiar characters, same universe, but not things people necessarily know. So anyway, that, yeah, I don't, I would keep talking about it and then <laughs> you can, you can redirect or ask follow up, but now I love it. And um, if I could be a hobbit, when I grow up, I would definitely <laughs> be one. They seem to have uh, uh, very well ordered uh, set of loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their family, their friends, their neighborhood, they prefer uh, the best days. You Mm -hmm. uh, have a drink and smoke a pipe while you talk to your friends about things. That sounds like a great option. Oh, Um, that sounds like you. I know. I mean, I'm going for it. (laughs) Deep commitment. (laughs) Uh, My feet aren't hairy enough yet. Oh, okay. (laughs) What what, what year were, when were you born? Uh, 82. So I'm 39. Okay. So, uh, so you weren't there when the first star Wars came out? No, no, they weren't even born. (laughs) No, we, you know, they were, uh, I mean, like I, I grew up and they were things that were always on TV. And then Mm -hmm. we got the VHS tapes when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And then when I was in middle school, uh, is when they re-released them in theaters. And, uh, so all my friends and I were like, sitting in line because back then you know you didn't buy tickets on the internet we okay. sat in line for four or five hours <laughs> to get tickets and then we would go up there and then buy them for like three days in a row you know we're yeah. we're gonna see it three days in a row mm-hmm. we'd sit in line and ordered pizza to have it delivered to the line where we were getting our star wars tickets and uh, cool. uh occasionally go in costume mm-hmm. um that kind of thing yeah uh, my you know right now my seven-year-old uh, she just got into Harry Potter. So we're like reading those books and stuff at night. And, you know, if you're in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. there's like so much Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Of course. You know, yeah, she's yeah. from here. And, and, uh, and I like Harry Potter came back after I would have read it for age reasons. Uh-huh. So I never, I'd never really read it or watched the movies or anything till I was a youth minister in Los Angeles and the last movies coming out. Uh-huh. And we would do these big uh, lock-ins where we would watch like all of the series and then go to the midnight release of some big film. Like we did it for um, like uh, we watched all of the um, Marvel movies and then went to the midnight one of the first mm-hmm. Avengers. And mm-hmm. anyway, we would do these for all sorts of different, we did all the Lord of the Rings one anyway. So we're for two days, basically watching harry potter movies because there's too many of them to watch like in one sitting and go to yeah. midnight so we like yeah. watched three or four went home watched three or four go to the midnight show i don't know dobby's gonna die oh. and 
I, I love Dobby. Yeah. I've never seen him before. And all, and he like dies and I start crying and I'm like, <laughs> you know, in the church, but it, it's a church with a theater. So, you know, but there's yeah. like 60 teenagers looking at their youth minister crying oh. and they're like, you don't, you didn't know Dobby was going to die. I'm like, no, I never seen these before you got, <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, you got to give someone heads up. Like, <laughs> I was like, and, huh. and, and so we stayed up and then went and guess so I, I, you know, I watched them all then and liked it, but now reading it, the books are, I think even better than significantly yeah. better than the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm enjoying them, but you know, they have the similar thing where uh, the, it, most like something that Lord of the Rings, Star Wars and um, Harry Potter have in common is uh, that the, the most powerful thing, um, is uh, friendship, yeah, and friendship built on sacrifice. They also all mm-hmm. three. The turn involves uh, nonviolence in the face of violence, yeah. Uh, and so, like, uh, I, I think our world is uh, needs a lot more people yeah. who are able to face things because they have a high quality community of friends that sacrifice for each other, and that and find the solution to mm. overcoming evil is not through domination and violence. So those stories are always uh, good ones to, uh, at least for me. Yeah, they are. But, you know, but also my favorite story involves Mm -hmm. uh, the defeat of evil through nonviolence. It was called (laughs) Jesus. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Then that's, that's good. Now, is there anything else you want to tell me anything I have forgotten to ask? Oh, um, no, but I, I like, how did you first find uh, the podcast and stuff? Like I'm interested. So, um, and in like, what were the questions from your context in Sweden and things that when you found it, you were like, Oh, uh, this is helpful. I, I've been on, well, this faith journey for, I don't know, six, seven years or something. And uh, I came across uh, uh, Luke Norsworthy's podcast Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and from there, I, I learned about all the other podcasts <laughs> mm-hmm. basically. So, so I started listening, you know, uh, one of them and then the next one and the next one and it just kind of grew. So, um, I don't know specific questions. Well, it is the, you know, the atonement questions, the heaven and hell, the, and then the LGBTQ questions, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of a, it's a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have family members uh, who are LGBTQ and I am fully, re- uh, fully inclusive, fully affirming. Um, though my uh, congregation, my, my, uh, uh, the Salvation Army is not. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's kind of tough. But um I'm uh, I'm also 53 years old, so I'm uh, I don't really <laughs> I, you you know the the frames that you're supposed to be be in. I kind of you know uh, yeah I I kind of burst out of there <laughs> a little more, and um, so the, so I I just um, I I looked for for resources uh, on the internet and uh, to to just learn more. Mm-hmm. more and more and more so uh, have you been able to find a community in person in uh sweden or salvation army or like what um because you know luke and i are both americans and that's yeah. why i was wondering what the what the space for that kind of questioning looks like in sweden i i don't have um really um i don't have a special group but mm-hmm. I have friends who are also on the same journey. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, well, we, we, we talk a lot, but it's not like we, well, we don't have a special community or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's also a, a reason I started this podcast because now I get to talk to people <laughs> yeah. who have the same oh, that's awesome. kind of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was the, you said, that that kind of journey started six or seven years ago. What was it that like kicked it off? Um, 
I don't think I ever really understood the, you know, the thing about Jesus is coming back, but uh, we're going to go to heaven, but he's coming back here. You know, I think mm-hmm. it, it was that question that, that kind of, I, I don't know, I, I don't remember why, but it was, I think it was that question that kind of, I need, I need to find out more about this. And then I, mm-hmm. I came across uh, some podcasts and I, I came across Brian Zond mm-hmm. and, and his sermons. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I get it. And, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, then from there, and I started, you know, reading lots of different books, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, Richard Rohr, <laughs> mm-hmm. of course, um, and uh, Pete Enns and Brian McLaren and, uh, and all the others. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I just kept traveling on my journey. Have you been at the, it, have you been a part of the same Salvation Army congregation the whole time? Uh, not the congregate. No, no. Since I'm an officer, I, uh, I move around like yeah, I'm, I'm a minister mm-hmm. you know, in the Salvation Army. We, but how, we, how often do you move then? Uh, we just uh, we just moved now. Uh, and our last appointment was uh, in Tronos. It was eight years. Oh, OK. So um, and uh, the one before that was seven years. So it's it, it, it's not set. That you have mm-hmm. like three years or five years so it's it's all depending on where you are in life and where, how your work is going and what you want and your visions and you know so yeah oh cool yes well i'm i'm glad uh we found each other on the internet yes me too i think maybe <laughs> you can open some doors for me now <laughs> so i can talk to brian mclaren and diana butler bass and <laughs> I think I think they I don't think they'll be scared of you. No, uh, just if they would just answer my emails. Anyway, I have one more <laughs> uh, last question that I ask every uh, interviewee on my podcast, mm-hmm. and it is: uh, Where do you find pleasure and well-being right now? Oh well, um, my parents had I hadn't seen them for almost two years, and they came to visit. Uh, just a month ago so that what you know i'm still running high on like going to coffee with my mom and that kind of thing uh in lockdown joy came from like yes it's annoying to homeschool and kind of stuff but my two little ones we had we got a lights and had giant dance parties on a regular basis uh there were lots of fun. Yeah. Um, my oldest, who's 13, has just gotten into like reading, like philosophy and stuff like that. So, and, I, and, and he also, he knows I like it. So I'm like trying not to be too excited, which I'm sh- sure is a turn off to a 13 year old if their parents really into something, you uh-huh. know? Um, so uh, the, those kind of things. Um, but, the like person personal stuff is the i mean my favorite thing are like hanging out with friends like and mm-hmm. talking I, I i'm an extrovert mm-hmm. and with lockdown has been really hard in a place where you hadn't lived very long so you didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of friends so n- now that i have a few things are uh, much hot like much more enjoyable being mm-hmm. able to um talk with people and i think the it's with people where I mean, not that you have to say everything you're mm-hmm. thinking or felt, but where, you know, you have permission to. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, yeah. And I don't like my birds in the oh, yeah. backyard quite a bit. Of course. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Well, this, um, this has been a blast really. Thank you so much. Well, oh, I, I enjoy it, but I mean, you just asked me questions, but <laughs> It's a lot easier to be interviewed than to do the interview. Okay. At least if you have, at least if you don't mind saying whatever you think. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) Well, maybe you want to come back sometime. Yes, definitely. Oh, great. Well, you go back to work now. All right. Much, not nearly as much fun. Thank (laughs) you a lot. Take care.
Okej. Okay. Nej. Ja, man kan ju inte annat än att tycka om honom, eller hur? Jag ska försöka göra en kortare sammanfattning även av detta avsnitt på svenska som då kommer om några dagar. Så att även ni som inte är så bekväma med engelskan kan få glädje av det. Och om ni gillar det här avsnittet så gå gärna in i er podcast-app eller på Spotify eller så här på Podbean och gilla det. Sätt en stjärna. Dela det på era sociala medier och dela det till vänner och bekanta. Så att fler hittar hit och får vara med om dessa härliga avsnitt. Nästa vecka kommer jag tillbaka med ännu något spännande här på G-punkten podcast. Så tills dess så ta hand om er och grace and peace my friends.